0: Press play on the inside! Inside Sales Show. Powered by the Sales IQ Network. My name is Daryl Prale. I'm your host, and you, my friend, well, you and I, we're going on a journey every single week talking to the industry's most accomplished sales legends as they share with us their tips, their tricks, their techniques, and their tactics to become sales rock stars. You simply need to do what they're doing and you will achieve similar nirvana. If you like to laugh, you like to be entertained, if you like to go off on tangents and tell stories, you're going to love what you're going to hear next. Sit back, relax, it's going to get real. I'm back! I know, I know. You're like, didn't I just talk to you, Prail? Yes, you did, because you're a loyal listener. And if this is your first time listening, boy, brothers and sisters, have I got a guest for you today. This is a repeat a repeat speaker. Whenever I bring in somebody back more than once, it's because they're good or they're paying me. No, just kidding. Actually, nobody pays me. Nobody. I should start monetizing this thing and get people to pay me to appear on the show. What do you think? That's another revenue stream. If I was a true creator, I'd be doing that. Influencer marketing. I could leave my day job. I could maybe do trade. You know, do some day stock trading. Ah, the future possibilities. Ah, I'm rambling. I want to share a story. I always like to share stories. You know me. Here's what's going on in my life these days. So, funny story. Well, it's not so funny for me, but you might find it entertaining. Is my wife and I, we were campers. Or some of you may refer to us as glampers. Because we're not like, you know, backpack going into the hills and roughing it. We're more like, let me tow my trailer or my UK friends, my caravan. That's got the microwave. It's got the shower. It's got the island. It's got the kitchen. You know, it's got the fireplace. We're, we're really roughing it. We're glampers. And when the kids hit high school and they got jobs and they got into relationships and they had zero ability to, to schedule themselves to save their lives, we decided that we would stop going out to different places and locales every weekend and we would become seasonal campers. So we found a campground and we, we uh, within a year, because in the campgrounds, the best sites you have to get on a wait list for and we just happened to turn it when there's an ownership change and he was cleaning house. And we managed it within a year. We had a waterfront spot. And we've had that spot for 10 or 11 years. And it's nice. I got a dock. I got a little boat. I got a beautiful 40 foot trailer up there that's perfect for my wife and I. And it's a little piece of heaven that we get away to on the weekends. Zero reception on the internet. So we're truly offline. So why does that matter? Well, why it matters is this the campground. Changed hands late last year. So now we have new owners and here's where I'm going. I can, my, my camper, it's on wheels. I can literally go anywhere I want to with this camper. So if I'm not happy with this campground or the ownership, I can go to the next campground. And what's happened in our current case is our current owners have come in and they want to be a quote unquote resort. They're heavily capitalized. They're buying up campground stuff right in center. And they literally doubled our fees overnight. And then we all signed our fees in the new contracts. We bitched, we moaned. And then four days before we were allowed entrance into the campground at the start of the season, they came back to us for thousands of dollars more. And since then, their communication has sucked. And there's been bitching and moaning. And the campground today is literally 35% empty. Not making money at all because people have all bailed on them. So what does this say? This says, for me, if I'm a vendor or a solution provider, like whom you work for, and I have this reputation, the chances of me getting new business is small. It's amazing. You know, the campground manager says, yeah, I showed 20 sites on the weekend. I said, how many sites did you actually fill? One. Really? Why did 19 not do it? Oh, they saw the reputation. They saw the reviews online. They didn't like the rates. But yeah, they've all, they're all aware of the reputation. So our reputation precedes us. That makes me as a sales rep or the park manager having a very difficult time to close new business and make that campground profitable. So what do I do? I look at my options. Where else can I go to get this a, 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 a better campground experience? And of course, what do I do? I do a couple things. I go to Google. I look at the reviews, the most recent reviews. I go to Facebook and all the camping groups. I look at the reviews. I go to my little communities and I talk to people <sighs> and then I ask questions. And we say, hey, you're at that campground. I'm thinking of that campground. What's it like? And we have those conversations. All of this is taking place. And the campgrounds that I'm evaluating are oblivious. They don't know. They don't know. They make it my business. They may not. All of everything I've talked about is got one thing in common. Trust. And in the former example, my new owners have lost my trust. I just don't trust them. I don't want to give them business. I resent them. And I'm going to tell everybody in the world about them, how they suck, including you on this podcast. I don't trust them. And there's a consequence to them losing my trust after being there for 10 years. And the next place, me to look at other people, now I'm bitter. Now I'm scared. So what am I looking at? Trust. Trust is instrumental. And there's one thing I heard a very wise fellow say to me once. He said, Daryl, What you need to know is that buyers don't trust you. Are you in sales, but you're not using a sales engagement tool? Then you're probably losing out on revenue because you are not engaging with prospects at the right time, with the right cadence, and with enough persistency. You need VanillaSoft. Go to VanillaSoft.com. That fellow is Jason Bay. He is with Blissful Prospecting. He's a rock star. I love this guy. He's a messaging god. And he is all over the social feeds. You should be following him on LinkedIn. It's simple. LinkedIn.com slash in slash Jason Bay. But if you're, I'm sorry, Jason D. Bay. But if you actually know him and know him well, we don't call him Jason Bay. No, nay, nay.
1: We call him J. Bay. Jason, my friend, welcome to the show. What's going on? I'm glad you made a distinction between glamping and camping. Yeah, I live in the Pacific Northwest here in Washington. So very important. Right. I Lamping, You own up to it. It's, it's all good. You just got to distinguish between roughing it out on the trail in your little tent that fits in the backpack versus a nice camper like it sounds like you have. I'm like an hour away from
0: Algonquin Park here in Canada, which is the biggest park in all of Canada. And Canada is already the second largest country in the world. Algonquin Park is bigger than many countries. And uh, it's the same thing for us to go and helicopter in or or canoe in or portage in or what have you. So I have to very much just make that same distinguished aspect here locally when I'm talking. So, but yeah, we are, we're slackers, Jason. We like our amenities. I like a hot shower. In fact, funny story. We never had television. Of course, we have no internet. And a couple of years ago, my wife had always said to me, we're never having satellite TV. We're camping. We're getting away. And I'm like, okay, dear. Then a couple years ago, she started saying, well, you know, if it's rainy or something, maybe we should have a satellite TV. And I'm like, uh-huh, but you told me. No, well, I know. No, we're not going to have it because we're camping. And I'm like, okay. So then what do I do? We have satellite. I live in the country. We have satellite already. So I'm like, I can just pick up a, se- a secondhand dish. I can bring one of my receivers with me and I can just go and do it. So I just did it. I bought a secondhand dish. I installed it. I pointed it, brought my receiver. Boom, I've got it. And I expect it. To get yelled at by my wife. And instead what she got was a, a, a a, a, I don't know what you call it, a very sheepish grin. I made her happy. So not only are we we glamping, we're glamping with satellite television. How lame is that? That just sounds too easy, you know? (laughs) I know. I know. But let's go back to you. You... You, oh my God. And by the way, if you go to, you know, blissfulprospecting.com, I love Jason's site. I help reps and sales teams turn complete strangers into paying customers. Yet, he's the same man that said to me, buyers don't trust you. Dear Mr. Sales Rep, buyers don't trust you. Talk to me about that. Why do buyers not trust me? I'm a nice guy, Jason. What am I doing wrong? I'm a good guy. Mama raised me right.
1: Well, I think that people... Are really quick to point out. Yeah, you've probably seen the stats. I mean, Clearbit has the most recent stat. I think on cold emails, it's like less than one percent chance of a reply, positive or negative. Right? Gong's had that stat for a while. One point four eight percent chance of success on a cold call. And people start with that. But I think what's more interesting is to look a layer deeper and like let's look at why it's so ineffective. Right? And. LinkedIn state of sales, they just came out with 2022, I think earlier this week or something really recent. But in 2020, they pulled, I think it was 10,000 sellers, combination of sellers and buyers. And they found that 32%, only 32% of buyers describe sales as a trustworthy profession. <laughs> 32% <laughs> of people that buy stuff at companies, only a third of them describe it as a trustworthy profession. And On the flip side of that, you know, 88% of buyers say that they will only buy from a salesperson who they consider to be a trusted advisor. So when you kind of start to unpack all of that, how we buy things, who we choose to buy from, how our customers buy things, they just want to talk to a credible peer. That's the biggest thing. They want to talk to a credible peer and they're being so inundated with cold emails and cold calls and you know, LinkedIn pitches and all this other stuff that they just don't want to interact with people that are clearly not someone that can add value to them. And we can talk about that word value too because people throw that word around a lot as well. And I think they kind of overcomplicate it. But when I do work with companies, some of the largest software and professional services companies out there, that's what I see missing. That's what I hear in those cold call recordings, Daryl, is skepticism Oh, skepticism, skepticism, that first 30, 45 seconds, just like you can tell the person's extremely skeptical of the other person. You know what I mean? Email is a tough channel because you don't get the kind of feedback you do on a, on the phone, right? On the phone, I can hear you. I can hear your tonality. Hopefully I'm recording it. Email, if people don't like it, most people just don't respond to it. But that's how I always open up trainings. That's, that's the biggest problem that we have is that people that have yet to hear from us are skeptical. They don't trust us. They don't trust you. So you're having to buy back that trust. You're starting not from zero. You're starting from behind the finish line. All right, the starting line, I guess it is.
0: <laughs> I always laugh because I, there's a podcast I listen to, and they've always had got a bizarre name of every single episode. And what it is when you listen to the the podcast, it's like a three-hour podcast, and there's a panel of four people. And so it may take me several days to listen to it and they go off in tangents and I like it and they laugh, they make, they're fun. They opine, which I quite like. And, but they'll always use some bizarre reference or pop culture stuff. And, and that becomes the title of the episode, which is always ad hoc. So as soon as you said skepticism, I'm like, Oh, Oh, Jason Bay, you know, the consummate skeptic, you know, skeptical. I don't know. I got to come up with something, but I think I can work that into the title episode folks listening There you go. That's where I get my inspiration from. Okay, so I love, you know, skepticism is not actually a word that I ever think I've ever heard any other sales expert, influencer, trainer, advisor, leader ever use on me, and yet I think you nailed it. So my first question is,
1: why is nobody using that word, and how do we overcome it? Yeah, great question. So I think that there's, the reason why I use the word skepticism is, (laughs) I mean, think about what infomercials have done to everyone. Think about what all of the crazy ads and stuff that we see has done to everyone. it's It's all of these empty promises behind these products that don't deliver on their promises. And I think that you know that becoming a normal thing in the last 25 years that people have been starting to do is that there's review sites now, right? Yeah. So it's not just the claim that that business is making about their product or service. And I see the same thing with cold emails and cold calls that I listen to. There's all of this, like we work with all of these companies and, you know, I work with a company that helps with, you know, they sell sales intelligence. It's a, it's a conversational intelligence platform, excuse me. And, you know, hey, we reduced the company's ramp time by 50%. Even if you did that, it just sounds so outrageous. You know yeah. what I mean? And people are putting and peppering this stuff into their emails and people just get really desensitized to that stuff. Right. And it's like, well, that's, I'm a bit skeptical of that. You know what I mean? There's just all of these crazy bold claims everywhere that people are just being peppered with. And now it's just rampant in B2B sales. I, I wanna... Right. That's what a lot of people talk about in marketing, right? Is that B2B marketing should be more like B2C marketing. Well, what do they do in B2C marketing? They use these outrageous claims, you know, for stuff. And then people are going a little too overboard. So yeah, I think that this inherent need that people feel to put out these outrageous claims, even the ones that are true that just look outrageous, it desensitizes people, makes them more so, skeptical.
0: True story to build on what Jason just said. This is honest to God. I had this conversation, less than 24 hours ago. <clears throat> My head of sales is saying to me, she comes to me, I'm the marketing guy, says, uh, Daryl, we need a piece of content. We need a piece of content, and so we're talking to the uh, you know our user persona, basically what we call here at Garoppel, our technician the social media manager that they can bring it to the executive to represent they can they can you know effectively sponsor us they can they can say you got to talk to them you know we need this piece of stuff that the executive's going to go damn holy smokes get these people in here I want to talk to them that's what we need can you help us with that and I'm like why and she's like what do you mean why I just told you why and I'm like no no hear me the question i'm asking this is why here's the context behind the why I am your executive. I am the chief marketing officer that my social media manager is going to bring that piece of content into me. If you're trying to sell me, I said, this was going to happen. You bring me this piece of content and you're gonna be very proud of it. And you're gonna say, I really think we should buy girl pulse. Check this out. You're going to love it. You're going to see all the business reasons, the business case, why you should do it and the ROI. You're going to get it. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say to them, I'm going to say, I don't want to see it. And they're going to go, why not? I said, because it's a vendor-published piece. It's only going to show one point of view. It's inherently biased. It's skewed. It's self-serving. I don't trust them. I'm completely skeptical of their motivation in writing this document. And she was like, and I love my, my head of sales, Jenny, but she was like, really? And I'm like, I'm telling you, I don't believe the vendors, and I'm a vendor. So to your point, that's exactly how we feel. We're skeptical. Yeah.
1: And it's, I did this in action at the beginning of our conversation where I talked about LinkedIn state of sales, right? Gong, Clearbit, you you take all of these places in to back up your claims, right? So your second part of your question though, was how do we build, how do we reduce skepticism, AKA build trust? I think there's a couple principles that you want to take in consideration. So, one is self-disclosure principle. So my therapist, Ben, right? I feel really close to Ben. But I don't know anything about him. <laughs> yep, I know nothing about this guy except for the fact that he is a therapist. He lives in Portland, and I think he has a couple kids. I know he's married. He's got a kid or two. Yet I feel really close to him. And in therapy, a lot of what they leverage is self-disclosure princi- principle, which essentially states that the more someone talks about themselves and reveals things that they care about, the more they trust you. So, how does that apply to prospecting? Well, let's take a cold call for example. You come from this land as well, Daryl. Yep. Right. I do. Yep. Think. Think about how a typical cold call interaction goes. I listen to a lot of these recordings and it's something I do, especially before I start a training engagement is, hey, let's just get a baseline of what your team's doing. And it sounds a lot like this. Daryl, let's just role play. You'd be the prospect. I'll, uh, okay,
0: let's <laughs> do it. I can do that.
1: All right. And uh, this is a client of mine that sells a customer experience solution. You're a, you're a VP of support. So you manage like a, okay. a huge call center, a bunch of all that kind of stuff. Uh, okay. Ring, ring. Hello, Daryl speaking. Uh, Hey, Daryl, Jason with XYZ Company. Look, I'd love to set aside some time with you, 30 minutes if you got it later tomorrow or the next day, and uh, talk to you about how we're helping some companies like A, B, and C with their customer experience and our on-demand platform and all the analytics and all that kind of stuff that we can get for you. What's your schedule looking like tomorrow?
0: Jason, I appreciate it, but my schedule is crazy. And, uh, and, and candidly, we're fine for now. We don't have any budget. Uh, we don't have any initiatives. Maybe reach back out to me in six months from now, maybe a couple quarters and that might change, but I just, I, I no time right now.
1: So that's what it would sound like if the prospect was really nice. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> yes. Cause I asked you what I want for those listening. I, I, because it's Jason and he's my guest, I listened, I let him finish. I would have. Cut them off. Yeah. I would have cut them off and say, stop there, Jason. Don't want to waste your time. We're just not looking right now. I appreciate it. Circle back. Yeah.
1: You That's didn't feel what like being to me.
0: <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I, I'd actually let you
1: finish. Yeah. So that, I know, a, that might sound crazy to some people listening to this, but that is not an exaggeration from what 99% of reps no, will I, do, whether they're selling B2C, B2B, whatever it might be. I get it all the time. It's all about me. I got you on the phone. Oh shit. You know, like awesome. Exactly. I'm going to pitch you, you know, yep. this is the one call out of a hundred that's picked up today.
0: I love that. You said it's all about me. Cause I get that whether it's a LinkedIn request or, you know, as soon as we connect, boom, I get the pitch and it's all about you. My company does this. Okay. I don't give a shit. You know, it's all about you. Can I have 10 minutes on your counter tomorrow? Do you realize you're calling into an executive? No executive who's doing his job right or her job right has 10 minutes tomorrow or the next day. Or, you know, if anything, you should be looking at next week or two weeks or three weeks from now, total sidebar. So what you're doing, though, is you're conveying that you don't know me. You do not know me
1: when you ask for that. But sidebar, go ahead. Yes. So self-disclosure principle. What I want to do in that first 30 to 45 seconds that's really crucial is I want to not talk less than you and as a percentage of talk time. That's not really what it's about. Talk time is just a leading indicator. So if I looked at a cold call recording and I saw a rep talk to 80% of the time, that would be a way that I might look at something that might be going wrong. The actual percentage of talk time is not the important part. It's the amount of time I spend talking about you. That is the important part. So even if it's 60-40, me, you, or 70-30 even, if I'm talking more about you and stuff that you care about, That's what it's all about. That's going to make you talk more about what's important to you, usually, if you pull it off correctly. So, what we do in our cold call is instead of having an elevator pitch, I'm going to replace that with what I call a priority drop. So, a priority drop is out of all the sales conversations I have with people like Daryl, this VP of support what are the top two things that they tend to care about most that are most top of mind for them? And how could I find some sort of trigger or something based on my research that indicates that they might care about that, okay? So I'll kind of reverse engineer and we'll, we'll redo the role play here in a second. So when I reverse engineer this, what I know about a VP of support is they care about two things. One, in a call center, it's all about getting fewer people to call into the call center, <laughs> ironically. <laughs> So they call that reducing the cost to serve. Specifically, I want to get more customers to find their own answers and self-serve so I can reduce the cost to serve. And then two, right now, a really big one is around agent experience. So how could we reduce attrition, give people better tools, all that kind of stuff? Okay, let's do another role play, here. Let's do it. I can let you know how that, you know, kind of sounds. There's a couple other stuff I'm going to add to this, but I can, we can unpack it after I do it. Um, Ring, ring, ring. Hello, Daryl speaking. Daryl, it's Jason. I know I probably caught you in the middle of something, but you got a minute for me to tell you why I'm calling and I let you know if you want to keep chatting or not?
0: Sure, but just a minute. I'm just uh, candidly.
1: Appreciate it. I'll make it quick. Daryl, real quick. One of the things I, I noticed is that you guys are hiring a lot of call center agents right now. And specifically in one of your quarterly reports, you mentioned a focus around reducing costs to serve. Does that at all like ring a bell? Is
0: yeah, I'm getting hammered by it, as you might imagine, from my CEO and my CFO.
1: Yeah, totally understandable. And the reason I was giving you a call, Daryl, is that typically when I talk to VPs of support, I either hear a focus around that, so getting customers to self-serve more and that sort of thing, or kind of the opposite of that, I hear more of a focus around you know, agent experience. So how can we provide them with better tools to do their job better so that we're reducing attrition? Are either of those two things perhaps something that's a priority for you right now, or am I w- way off?
0: No, they're both priority. They're part of my OKRs amongst a few other things, but I am tight on time. So if you don't mind me, you know, let's uh, obviously I'm going to guess you can help me out. Hit me up with your best pitch. And if you can uh, hit the hit the right hot button, we'll talk some more.
1: Absolutely. Well, the reason I was giving you a call as a telco is we're working with ABC customer. And one of the things that they noticed with reducing the cost to serve is that The way they would typically go about doing that is, you know, creating FAQ pages, like I noticed that you have a lot of, and kind of pushing people into digital channels. One thing that they found, though, is when they were able to get more insight into what people were actually doing, we found that that was actually driving up call center volume. People were calling more because they couldn't find their answers. And I'd love to share some insights into what they did to sort of fix that problem in hopes that it might be helpful for you. Does that sound like something that might be worth maybe 15, uh, 20 minutes of time in a a week or two? I mean,
0: we are all over FAQs. It's funny you say that because it's pissing me off. (laughs) If you've got something to help me out with that, you got my attention and I will make time for that. It might be a bit, it might be a week or 10 days. And if it's okay, I like to bring one of my people
1: in with me. Cool. And then we'll schedule the call and all that stuff from there. And also, if we rewind, I used a permission based opener and that was one of the first things I did. Those are sort of optional. I find it to be pretty effective. At the beginning, I could have even put and packed some relevance into that opener. Hey, Daryl, this is Jason, was reaching out because I noticed you guys are hiring a bunch of call center agents and XYZ is going on. Oh, by the way, you got a minute for me to tell you the reason for my call, and you can let me know if you want to keep chatting. Like I could put that into the front of the call if I wanted to, but I'm gaining permission. Yep. Again, it's an it's an optional thing that I find works really effectively because. Daryl didn't pick up the phone because he thought it was a cold caller trying to sell him. You probably thought it was someone else, dude. Okay, it's a pretty safe assumption that anyone that picks up a cold call, especially an executive, didn't do it on purpose. Okay, so let's acknowledge that. The next thing that I did is I immediately demonstrated that I did my research, which is so easy to do in most cases. I need to show him right away that I'm reaching out to him on purpose. And then that priority drop, all I did was mention two things. Sometimes there's three, depending on who it is that you're reaching out to. The, that part is like the, the relevance part of the message. That is me adding relevance to people that I see like him, VPs of, of support in telco in their industry. I know that 80 90% of the people that are in his, his position are focused on those two things. And then I'm adding a little bit of customization on top of that, showing him that I did some research on you and your company. I don't know where you want to go from there, but those pieces right there, that's usually enough to get people to talk about themselves. I'll stop there. There's a second part to that when you asked me what we do. There's a really good way to answer that question, and there's a really shitty way. I don't know if we could, can we use profanity on your podcast? I and mean, we kind of we can use twice. profanity.
0: <laughs> stupid ass profanity. So there's a couple of things I want to talk about here. Yeah. So for those listening what you heard Jason do is a, what I would almost contend is a much more polished version of ring ring. Hello. Hi, this is a sales call. Can I have 30 seconds? I mean, it's permission based. I'm asking, I'm full disclosure. This is what it is. I'm asking for it. Now, Jason, as you listen to it, he was far more eloquent and approachable. I didn't feel like I had a boiler room sales rep asking for 30 seconds. I felt like I had an actual, you know, his tonality, his delivery, his pacing was much more of disarming. That's what we're looking for. Second thing you need to understand, there's something else that is taking place here that Jason didn't mention to you is that when he asked my permission and I give it to him, I, as the the person on the other end of the call, is I, I feel in control because I gave him permission. I could have said no. I had the choice. So, but he disarmed me and he would, because he was self-disclosing, And therefore I gave him control. Therefore, this is my choice to listen to him now. So this is awesome. And then going back to your second point where I started asking questions, that's because he dinged something in the back of my head where I'm like, okay, you know, first when when he first started talking about some of his stats, I'm like, yeah, you know, it's interesting, but I mean, it's in the script, but then when he started talking about the FAQs and how that actually drove it up, I'm like, son of a bitch, that could be my problem. I now need Jason. So he went from, he, 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 built trust that fast because he was able to educate me and he showed me that he knows me. And now I go from being, you know, in control to then I'll, I've ironically, I've lost control because now I do want to learn more. So, because it's, 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 it's in my best interest. And I, I'll bring it back to, if for those who listen to regularly, you would have heard a few episodes ago, we talked about Tebow. Uh, he talks about, Understanding how to connect the dots, which is what Jason just talked about here. And what he said was, once you know your idea of customer profile and the persona, he says, you know, what is the one metric that matters to your target persona? Which is what Jason was kind of, he said one or two. What is the one metric that matters to your persona? So what is the goal related to that metric? All right. What is the initiative required to achieve that goal? So right now, Jason and I are kind of at the metric and the goal, probably. We haven't got this far, but it's what you need to know. So once you know the initiative required to achieve that goal, then he goes, what are the problems related to that initiative? And then what are the symptoms related to the problems? And you're going to use those symptoms, which is what Jason started to do a little bit in the messaging. And if you look at what Jason's really good at amongst many things, we haven't talked about this. He has, when he talks about the outbound equation, which I don't want to give it away, but his point is, outbound equation is your volume times your quality. And he'll say quality is a combination of message, fit, and delivery. Message. Message and delivery. Two of those key components were in what he just did. He overcame my skepticism. So that's me as the buyer. I'm just giving you my psychological, emotional you know, executive reaction to his approach. And how I trust this guy. I already trust this guy. And like his therapist, I don't really know him.
1: So there we go.
0: You want to do the second part?
1: Yes. So you, yeah, I'll, I don't even have anything else to add to that, Daryl. <laughs> so the second part, you asked me, well, give me your best pitch. Yeah. Prospects will say that a lot, or it'll be a combination of, so what do you guys do? Yep. Now the biggest mistake you can Do when answering that question is to not answer it using what I refer to as the customer voice. I've heard a lot of organizations refer to customer voice. So, anytime I'm going to talk about my solution, I'm going to talk through the lens of how a customer would talk about it. So, a really good question to do I know this is for sales reps, this podcast. So, maybe you do it with your team or pick someone else. Is in trainings, what I'll do is I'll say, Hey, Daryl, what do you guys do? and they'll describe it in one way. And usually, if it's a customer experience platform like this, it would be like, yeah, we, uh, we get you the fastest customer insights so you can put it into action and do all this other stuff, right? I was like, okay, now your best customer, think of that person, you got it? How would they describe what you do to one of their peers? Oh. And it's very different. It's very, very different. The way that they would describe it, and that's what I did through answering that question, is I talked. I, I answered your question through a customer story well, hey, another similar telco like Comcast, they went about this priority or this problem in this way. And here's what they ran into. And here's how we help them. It's really simple. You need to have these like three to five sentence customer stories, two or three of them on hand at all times. Commit them to memory. But I'm going to answer, I'm going to talk about what we do through the lens of a customer. I'm not going to say we do this, we do that. I'm going to talk, and demonstrate social proof and credibility through doing that. That's the other kind of principle that you need to to think about. There's really a couple. Social proof is big, but bringing up a a company or an individual that's in a very similar situation to the prospect. And then there's also likeness, not being likable, likeness as in, hey, I'm one of you. I understand your world. I am using your language. It's such a key, like reducing cost to serve, self-serve. Those are words and phrases these prospects use. So I go from being a salesperson to a peer, a consultant, even trusted advisor that that phrase gets thrown around a lot, but it's really kind of simple. I need to know what's going on in your world and I need to use that language and I need to make the focal point of the conversation, you and not me. and. The way that I teach this, it's crazy to people that have never done it before. I was like, what I'm going to teach you in your cold calls is how to land a meeting without pitching your solution. And people are like, oh, you can't not pitch. Your-. I was like, you don't have to pitch it. You're just going to talk about how a customer is using your solution like, to fix a problem and to get an outcome. That's all the executive cares about. They don't give a shit about what dashboards your stuff comes with, okay? They're not even going to be looking at it. God, they're probably not even going to open the tool. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Nope. They care about the outcome, and that's the language. You know, Skip Miller wrote a book called Selling Above and Below the Line that should be required reading for any sales professional. And the concept's really simple. People below the power line, it's not like they don't influence the decision, but a, a director and below, they're very tactical day-to-day fixed by pain make my job easier, make me more productive, make my team happier. And above the line, VPC level, it's all about business outcomes. How is this going to help us hit our quarterly targets, our yearly targets? How is this going to help us grow top-line revenue, increase our profit margins, reduce risk, or create some sort of efficiency across the org that I can measure? That's what they care about. So when you talk about features and benefits, you're not talking in the language that's, that's violating the likeness principle. Right, I'm not like a, an executive I'm, if I'm talking about stuff that they don't care about. They talk about outcomes. That's the thing I'm always pushing people to in and, and emails. I'm like, this like getting insight into this thing through this dashboard, Like, what is the outcome of that? What does that help me do? Oh, it reduces cost to serve. That's the thing that I care about. I've
0: told my reps, because obviously we're a social media management company, so therefore the head of marketing, is, which is me, is one of my target personas. And I say to them, I said, why are you pitching features and functions guys? Come, I said, this is what you should be doing. And so where I'm going with this is I want you to understand that Jason was talking about pain points and metrics, you know, measuring things and goals. Right. I said, talk to me and ask me what is my cost per lead per by channel? What is my customer acquisition cost? What is my lifetime value? Ask me these uh, of a typical client, ask me these questions. What is the, Average selling price of my product. Am I happy with that? Do I want a lower cost per lead per channel, lower customer acquisition? I want lower churn. Do I want higher lifetime value? Do I want a higher ASP? You know, what's your plan to do that? How are you measuring that? Are events working for you? Is pay per click working for you? What's the ROI in your social media? And when you ask that question, I won't have an answer. So that's the pain point. That's what opens up the conversation. It's not talking about Instagram reels or now that I can go live with stories or anything else, that's irrelevant. I don't give a shit about that. That's not my job. Exactly as Jason just said, they'll probably never open the software. Jason nailed it. Guys, this is a teaser. Jason opened up by saying the buyers don't trust you. He then physically said the reason is is because they're skeptical. He talks about his self-disclosure principle. He gave you permission-based opener, and he demonstrated with a real, real live role-playing with me About he was able to overcome my skepticism while I still felt in control. But because of his approach with permission based, his permission based opener, he was able to establish trust and flip the tables so that now I needed him and wanted to learn more. That's how it's done. It's not about your feature and function. Right of time. You like him? I told you you're going to like him. He's awesome. BlissfulProspecting.com is the site. Jason is pretty damn good at what he does. As he says on his LinkedIn profile, he helps you turn complete strangers as he just demonstrated into paying customers. So check him out. Follow him. you love his content. Jason's very solid at messaging. So if you're having issues with your sequences, with your emails, how to engage, check him out. He's also been known to get into a little bit of LinkedIn controversy, which I love about him, but we won't go down that road today. So with that all said, Jason, my friend, you've been a delight. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me on. And we have a podcast as well, Blissful Prospecting Podcast. So wherever you're listening, click out of that player. Make sure to subscribe to our stuff as well. We talk about similar stuff, Daryl. And we both have a, a really big passion for helping reps have smarter conversations so you don't get rejected so much. So make sure to check that out. This guy's everywhere, folks. And he's worth it. He's worth the listen.
0: My name's Daryl. Another week in the books. That's what I, I, you know, talking hard. Anyway, we'll get there and we'll get even better. Maybe we'll open up our next Podcast episode with some self disclosure. What do you think about that? Again, that was Jason Bay, as we call him Jay Bay. I'm Daryl. I'll talk to you next week. Take care. Bye bye.